Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. Man. Clark sent me that song earlier this week, and I've just had it on repeat at uh, my house and uh, just have uh, just been so encouraged by that song and two of the greatest words in all the scripture. But God, man, what a, what a joy. Maybe, maybe there's some of us that might have an experience like that this morning where we come in weary and we come in discouraged and, and the Spirit of God encounters us in such a way that we are changed from the inside out. Last week, we were in Galatians chapter 5. We've been walking through uh, a series throughout this year, uh, really, that has been taking a look at this uh, great big narrative of Scripture. And if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, we're grateful that you are here. We invite you to kind of jump into that journey with us. We've been walking through uh, some of the epistles. We've been uh, this, this week, uh, early in the week, uh, we were walking through 1 Thessalonians. And today, uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, uh, just as we open the Word of God together. Uh, and I want to I wanna encourage you and challenge you as we read the scriptures today, to think about what it looks like to be a gospel-centered church, to be a gospel-centered family, and what it looks like to live in, in that kind of family in a way that fuels the right fire. That's the title of the message today, uh, a message just really uh, pointing to that. We're, we're in a series called Spirit and Truth, and, and we want to be a people who fuel the right fire as, as we live as a gospel-centered family. Now, this letter uh, to the church at Thessalonica, I'm reminded Paul had visited uh, this church during his second missionary journey, and it was really a, a, an important port city, and so it was a, a really important city along the way, and there were a large number of Greeks that had believed the gospel, but there was also uh, such a, a stirring of persecution against him uh, that he had to flee to Berea, and so you can look at that in Acts 17. And so Paul uh, likely writes this letter uh, during his ministry at Corinth, and he writes this letter, and he encourages them. And really in the, the, the portion of the letter that we're reading, he's going to encourage them in being a gospel-centered family. Uh, he's going to be maybe giving them what, uh, what we might call some uh, rules for the family. Maybe some things that we can look at. I know some of us have uh, rules at home, right? We got uh, house rules. Some of you, you know, some of you students uh, and, and children probably recognize some, uh, think about some rules that are happening around your house, right? Some of you are nodding like you can think of, well, what's one of them? Can somebody, can somebody yell out one? Griff, do you yell one out? What's that rule at home? Make your bed. Yeah. So that's a, that's a house rule, right? And uh, anybody else, any, any other youngsters got a, a house rule maybe you think about? Fold laundry. Yeah, we got some of those kind of rules like that. So uh, there's things that might be like, don't talk back to your mama. Like that's a house rule, right? You know, those kind of things. Those are, uh, those are house rules. You might empty the litter. There may be all kinds of things like that, right? You walk the dog if it barks. You got all these things that are like house rules. So how do we function uh, in our family? And we have those house rules. And in this letter and in this portion of this letter, the Apostle Paul is going to give them some, some standards, right? Some house rules in the midst of that and some things that will encourage them to fuel the right fire. So let's jump in beginning in verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians chapter number five. Uh, and the scripture says this, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also 
are doing. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Now, this, this book, this letter, or this portion of the letter uh, starts out, and there's been uh, some, some encouragement earlier in that chapter, the end of, uh, let's go back to the end of chapter four. Uh, there's been uh, this encouragement uh, that they have heard uh, different things about what had happened to those uh, believers that had uh, died, those believers that uh, were they, were, they were so expectant of the return of Christ that they were looking for that at any moment, and then some of their family members were dying, and Paul writes them these words, and he says, I don't want you to be uninformed concerning those who are asleep, that you sorrow not as others who have no hope. And he, and he points to them and encourages them in that. And then in the beginning uh, part of chapter five, he says, listen, we need to be sober. We need to be ready. We need to be a people who are living in light of the soon return of Jesus Christ. And we need to be, uh, we need to be alert and we need to be aware of those things. And then he says, encourage one another, build one another up as you are doing. And can I tell you that we are desperately in a world need of people who are building one another up, people who are looking for uh, good things, right? I, I, some of you have heard that there's uh, two kind of birds that can leave the same area at the same time and find completely different things, right? The buzzard goes out, he flies around, he finds dead things, right? But the hummingbird uh, goes out and all of a sudden finds sweet things. And we need, we are desperate for a people that, that will go out and look for for the sweet things that will encourage one another, that will build uh, one another up. And I'm, I'm always challenged uh, by my daughter. There, there's a, there's a, a way, and, and what I'm challenged by is it's interesting uh, when uh, we're out in public, maybe somebody at the cash registers had uh, a bad day and they are not happy in the least. And our natural tendency, right, as people, when somebody else is being a little... Uh, you know, rough around the edges is for us to pull back from that or for us to get a little rough around the edges. But what happens is, is, is that she'll come up there and that person will look like, you know, not the happiest and, and she'll look over and go, oh, hello, Kevin. I love your sunglasses. They look good on the top of your head and they glare just beautifully in the light. I love that. Where did you get those? And, 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 and begins to engage and do those kind of things. And all of a sudden, this person that was mean, all of a sudden, is no longer mean anymore. And I'm thinking, man, I wish I could do that. So I've got a race for that. I was in the UPS store the other day, and there was 1,146 people in there. And <laughs> Sherry and I went in there, and, and, and we were waiting in line. And this one lady comes in, and she looked like the cashier I was talking about. She did not look happy at all. And so I decided, hey, you know what? You've got to do something. So she's got a big package. And I said, excuse me, ma'am. And she's not looking very happy about the long waiting line. And I said, we're blessed to get to hang out together in the line today. And I said, and there's a rule. If you hang out in the line with me, I have to carry your package all the way to the very end. And she kind of looks at me funny, you know, and I'm holding this package. I'm like, I'm going to run. And she's like, no, I'm not. I'm not. This is how I get all my stuff. But, but listen, we need to be looking in a, in a different in a different way, right? We need to be looking for ways to encourage. And, and this first part, it speaks about the relationship between a pastor and a church. And he says, hey, there, there should be uh, this respect. There should be this encouragement there. There should be this way that we live in peace with one another. So the first thing I want you to get, if you're following along that, app, there's some fill in the blank uh, things. This is one of those uh, this morning. But I want to encourage you, the first thing we see in this text is we're to reside peacefully. That's what we are to do, right? That's what a gospel-centered family looks like. We reside peacefully. And so we, we experience that because of the gospel, right? Gospel-centered churches, they experience what I'm going to call gospel-centered 
peace. Now, how many times have you heard or have I read of pastors and maybe a congregation or pastors in a deacon body uh, being in opposition to one another, being in those kind of moments, right? And, and it's like, here we are, right, on mission for the glory of God. We are sent on mission. We don't have to wonder about what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be caring for one another, and we're supposed to be sharing the good news of the gospel. And as we do those two things together, as people see us in the community, as we share the good news of the gospel, and they see us interact with one another, then we're going to see something beautiful happen as the love of Christ is displayed, and there's this, this joyous unity and harmony that the world longs to see. And it's the only place where every nation and every tribe and every tongue and every socioeconomic group and every person can come together under the umbrella of the gospel of Jesus Christ because every one of us, just like the scripture said in Ephesians chapter 2, was dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, who is rich in mercy, has caused us to be made alive in Christ. And because of that, the level ground at the foot of the cross allows us to come together as one people, as one family that walks in unity. And when we do that, the scripture says, and Jesus said this in John 13, he said, listen, the, the way that this world will know that you are my disciples is by your love for one another. And so if we're going to be received in this community, then we're going to have to reside in peace in this community. This is the way that we engage in the way God has desired us to do that. So we, we reflect his love in our relationships. Now, Paul, Paul in this passage shifts some of the focus from pastors and congregation to uh, just the congregation as a whole. And he said, this is how we are to live. So not only do we reside peacefully, but we restore graciously. Now, what we know about what God is doing in uh, his church is he is working through all kinds of things in our life, both good things and, and difficult things, both uh, hard times and good times to conform us to the image of his son. That's what he's doing. If you wonder what God is doing in the midst of his church, he is working in that way. And the scripture says that he who began a good work in us will see it through to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 says that those that he foreknew, he predestined, and what did he predestine them to? To be conformed to the image of his son. And so those who are in Christ one day, positionally, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are made holy. You can look at your neighbor, we talked about it last week, and you can say you are holy. But the truth is, practically, God is working that out in us. And, and what's true of us positionally when we are in Christ, he is working out practically in our lives as he conforms us to the image of his son. That work, by the way, is not easy. And so when we think about that, right, we restore graciously. Look, in verse 14, he says, we urge you, brethren. So this is a strong word. And he says, brethren, including all the congregation, he says, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. He says, this, this is part of the family of God deal. He said, if this is who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is who you are. We urge you, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Anybody struggle with that part, right? Being patient with everybody? He didn't say some, a little bit of people. He said, listen, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. So the first thing I want to see is the way that we restore graciously is that we engage the unruly. 
Now, when you think about that word unruly, it's this word that means off track, right? So, so there's this call that we have in, in the brethren, in the family of God, that we might engage those who have gotten off track just a little bit. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm driving on the four lane and I'm not paying attention real good and, and I'm cruising in the road, the, the road tails on me. Sherry could be over there doing nothing, like just laid back almost asleep in that road. Anybody ever have the road tail on you? Like, it wakes up the whole world. And, and what's funny is, is it doesn't matter what's going on. Like, like they wake up startled. It's always more dramatic than it is in that moment, right? And it's like, eh. it's just like ah, ah. <laughs> 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 everything okay. Yeah, I'm like, it's good. It's good. And, and, and we had a really bad car accident, so she has a right to do that. If there's like orange cones in the road and that happens, it's really, really dramatic. But here's the thing. There's a warning, right, when I get off track and, and it's allowed and it's really easy now listen, when I'm off track just a little bit, I'm still kind of in the road. It's not really that big a deal that I'm a little off track. And when I recognize that and it alarms and Sherry goes, ah, and all that stuff, like I can get back on track and, and cruise down the road in a whole lot better way. And, and there's this design in the family of God that we are to engage the unruly, that there's this admonishing that takes place when we stray a little bit. And I thank God. Now, I just want to say, I, I thank God so much for people that he has placed in my life throughout the years that when I have strayed off track, that there was somebody that cared enough and knew the word of God enough to come alongside me when I was straying and say, listen, I'm concerned about the direction that you are heading. And I thank God that it was in those moments where I'm on the side of the road and it's going, eh, but it was a real easy correction and I was right back on Right, and, and so here we are, right? We, we ordained uh, a deacon this morning in our early service, and, and we think about the work of deacons in our church and this, this peacemaking role and this, this uh, I like to call them the white blood cells of the church. And so a white blood cell right in your body, when, when there's an, uh, something in there that's causing an infection or there's something that's, that's bad, the white blood cells recognize that, they run to it, and they engage in that. And so we, we were recognizing some of those things, and this is one of the places, but, but Galatians 6 which we just got through reading, right? Galatians 6, 1 gives us some encouragement in what this should look like. And he says, listen, we're to engage the unruly and those that are off track. And the scripture says, here, I'm going to tell you who those people are. And it wasn't just the deacons. In Galatians 6, 1, it says, when you have a brother who is overtaken in a fault, when they've strayed off course, he said, you who are spiritual, you who have the spirit of God in you, you who are filled with the spirit of God, you who are spiritual, he says, restore such as one in a spirit of meekness, right? So there's a way that we engage in this. There's this way, as the scripture says, listen, we're to do that with patience. We're to do that with graciousness. We're to do that in that direction. So we engage the unruly. But not only that, we encourage the weary. That, that's what we do. And, and when you come into a room with this many people in here, there are people that walk in here today and that you're going to run into when you leave this place in restaurants or wherever you may go that are spiritually weary, right, from the circumstances that are around them. As, as Paul wrote to them in chapter 4, uh, they were concerned about loved ones that have died. There were people that, that were grieving the loss of, of loved ones. They were grieving the things that were going on. And here we are in those kind of things. Listen, we're to encourage the weary, those who are spiritually discouraged, those who are going through difficult times. And, and every single week, and some of you in this room, you walked in weary from the things of the week, from the circumstances that are in your life. And when we come together as the body of Christ and we walk and are led by the Spirit of God, we should engage with those things and encourage in those ways, right? Because we're 
We're walking in that. They're help the weak. So the faint heart is, is really this thought of being weary spiritually. Helping the weak. That may be physical needs. That may be things uh, that people have. And then he says, listen, seek what's good for one another. He said, look after what's good for yourselves and also for everybody else. He said, look after what's good for one another. So we're to live in such a way that the way that we engage with one another in the church is for the good of the body of Christ. Like this is not, uh, this is his church and we make up the body of Christ. And the way that we function together is encouraging to one another. So, so we, we, we do that, right? We seek what's good for ourselves and for all people. So those on the outside of the church, that's a gospel-centered purpose, right? The gospel-centered purpose says that we come together and our eyes are on those that are outside. We have an outward focus, but at the same time, we're caring for those on the inside. Now, now did you know, even with a gospel-centered purpose, because we are people that sometimes we can have difficulty, sometimes we can have problems, sometimes we can have hard times. And, and this morning, I, I, I always take these, anytime we ordain a deacon, and, and, and this is for good for everybody, right? And, and so I always encourage our deacons. I said, listen, there's, and this was a Bruce Harwood illustration like way back in the day. And, and I, I came to like a deacon's meeting, and Bruce brings these in, and he says, men, and he looks out, and he says, yes, sir, Bruce, men, he's getting that moment, you know, and he says, you can choose one or two jugs to carry. He said, there's going to be problems. There's going to be fires. There's going to be difficulties. And he said, you can choose whether you're going to fuel those things or you're going to quench those things, right? That's what he says. And, and, and what we see is that the reality is in all of our lives, right? In the things that we engage with, with our family and in relationships that are around, we have a choice, right? As to how we're going to do that. We, we have the abundant opportunity to fuel the wrong fire, James 4 said that the tongue, right, is it's like a fire no man can tame, right? And it's unruly and only the Holy Spirit in our lives can do that. And we have this opportunity to fuel the wrong things. But we're going to see later in this passage that there is a fire that we should be fueling, right? That there is a fire of the Holy Spirit that is working in us. And, and so we're carrying water jugs instead of gas cans. We're fueling the work of the gospel by pouring water on the things, on the fires that we don't want. Because some fires are great, right? We come by and we warm. Like my wife, if, if there's a fire in the fireplace, she's going to like come up behind it and she's going to put, right? And, and that's a wonderful kind of fire. We don't want to put that kind of fire out. But then there are those fires that can destroy, right? And we want to be quick to snuff those out. So not only uh, do we uh, restore graciously, right? Not only do we reside uh, peacefully, but what we're going to see in this passage is that we are to rejoice Gratefully, this is what we should see in the body of Christ. This is the rules for the household, right? We're to reside peacefully. We are to restore graciously with patience, with people who are maturing at a different rate. Uh, we're, we're in that kind of thing, but we're to rejoice gratefully. Look at verse 16 of, of chapter 5. Scripture says this rejoice always. How much? Always. Like th these three commands, th this is what we see in this passage. This is heavy. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks. And some of you are thinking, I sure wish I knew what the will of God was for me in my life. Like I hear people say that all the time. Here it is. Here it is. And, and if you want to know some more, like go back to chapter four. And he says that it's to live a holy life. He said to abstain uh, from, from sexual immorality, right? And, and that you are to, uh, to, to be sanctified, right? We're, we're looking back. Look at verse, uh, oh, let's see. 
Uh, verse 3 of chapter 4, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, and that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so there's this thing, you want to know what the will of God is? It's that we might live holy lives, that we might be pursuing uh, a, 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 a walking with integrity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in chapter 5, he said, This is the people, if you want to know what it looks like to walk in my will, then the people of God, they rejoice always. And here's the thing. This means even in times where there's difficult things in their life, this means even in those times where I've been with people and they found out that they have cancer. These are, these are, this is this picture of saying, listen, in everything, we're giving thanks. We're rejoicing always. We're, we're doing these kind of things. And we're recognizing that no matter what circumstances that we're facing, no matter, listen, everything's not always good, right? Everything is not always going perfect in our lives. But what we recognize, just like as we walk through Jeremiah 29, and we got to verse 11, and we he said, I know the plans that, that, that God has for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. And we recognized that that hope in the future wasn't in those circumstances as those exiles were reading it, right? They were going to be there a while. Fact is, the ones that were reading it were probably going to die before they were going to die, before they got home, right? Before they went back to Jerusalem. And so here's this reality as followers of Jesus Christ, no matter what our circumstances entail, no matter what difficult we difficulties we face. We are not home yet. And the promises of God are, are greater than any problems that we might face. And so whatever we are walking through, we know that we have a God who loves us and that, that everything in this world is father filtered, that there's nothing that can get to his children apart uh, from his allowance in those moments. And so we trust in his heart. We, we, we have moments that we don't see his hand. There are moments that we wonder all of the, the, the purposes and what he's doing. But we say, God, I trust you in all those things. And in every Thing, I give thanks because Romans 8 28 says we know that all things are working together for good for those that love him and those who are called according to his purpose and then it goes into the sanctifying work that God is doing in our life so we trust him in all things we rejoice gratefully now what's the opposite of rejoicing gratefully it's complaining hatefully that's what it is okay now we live in a world of complaining and complaining and complaining. The opposite of rejoicing gratefully is complaining hatefully. And this is the norm of our world. This is something that we've got to get a hold of as followers of Jesus Christ. We've got to be a people who, if we're going to walk in these commands that God's given us, we're only going to be able to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we've got to people, be a people that are recognizing what's coming out of our lips, right? There's one quote that I saw that said, complaining is like bad breath. You only recognize it on other people. Right, you only recognize it when it's on somebody else. This, this church did a, a kind of a, a complaining uh, focus, and there was a pastor named Will Bowen. I don't know anything about uh, their, their church, not, not supporting anything there, but, but it was interesting. This quote was from him, and, and it was an interesting thought that the statistic that he shared was that people complain an average of 20 to 30 times a day. 20 to 30 times a day complaining. And my prayer is this morning, right, that, that the Holy Spirit would convict our hearts and that, and, and that when we do that, it, it would just be a yelling from inside of us that says, just listen to what's coming out of your mouth, right? We're to rejoice always. We're to pray continually. That's how you walk in these things, right? And, and then in everything we give thanks. We want to be a people who rejoice gratefully, and we want to be a people who respond obediently. Look at verse 19. Scripture says this, do not quench the spirit. 
Now, now the word that's used for quench here in places in the New Testament, as we see this word, it gives this picture of putting out a fire, right? It's this, this word that would mean extinguish or to put out. It's this picture of us having maybe a little candle that's burning and this picture of us uh, taking maybe some water and dousing it on that. Uh, and, and you could really read it as you're saying, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Now, we understand that, like, it's kind of like Clark said earlier that Jesus was indestructible but laid down his life. And, and we, you know, like the, the Spirit of God, is great and can do whatever he wants, but God has so made it where in his sovereignty and in his way of dealing with us and his desire that we would walk in the spirit of God, that people like you and I, this scripture points to this, this reality that people like you and I could, could hamper and grieve the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and really, that you know, we're individualistic in the way that we think, but Paul's talking to a, a congregation here, and, and that we could do something that would quench the work of the Holy Spirit when we gather corporately. And I think about this, right? We, we want to fuel the right fire. We want to engage, and we want to we walk in the Spirit. That's what we looked at last week, right? We don't want to feed the desires of the flesh, but we want to fuel the things that matter. We want to fuel the things of God. And, and how do we... Maybe one way to think about it is like, how do we put out a fire? What do we do to put out a fire in just our lives generally? Right, one of the things that we'll do, right, we'll, we'll build a little fire, a little campfire. We'll have some of those kind of things going on. And, and really the quickest way, or maybe not the quickest, but one of the, the greatest and easiest ways is we just remove the fuel from the fire. Right, we quit putting sticks on it. We get it kind of going. Anybody ever done that? You build a little fire, and you know I'm bad. To, I'm not like a great fire starter. I, I put a little in there, and I get it going, and I think like I can put that big log on there, and then it'll just kind of go, and and it just, it just it's not near as big a fire, right? As I, and so sometimes I, I'll if I quit fueling the fire, if I quit doing those kind of things, you know, what is the fuel that we remove, right? What is the thing that we that we do in our lives, right? We need to be in the Word of God, right? We we need to be in worship. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in fellowship, right? We saw the early church in Acts 2, as we've been reading, right? They gathered, and, and day by day, they were, they were uh, in fellowship with one another, and they were, they were under the Word of God, right? They were, they were engaging in this way, and we're so bad, right, we, to, to get distracted, you know, when we look at deacons in Acts 6 and we look at this, uh, and, and, and the scripture doesn't say that those were deacons, but the wording that was used there is a word that's translated for that service. And later there was this New Testament office that was there. And in that passage, the scripture gives us kind of this setting and it says there, there was a complaint, right, that arose uh, among uh, the believers, right? It says that they were growing in number and it says there was a complaint that arose and the, the, basically the, the situation was that this, these, uh, these Hellenistic widows, these Greek widows were not, they were being overlooked in the waiting on of tables or the serving of food. And so they began to look at this and they recognized that it was an actual need. And then they set apart uh, these, these men uh, to, uh, they, they get the congregation together, right? And they said, select from some people among you that are of good reputation, that are full of the Holy Spirit wisdom. We get these people and then we put them to this task. And it says that 
that they recognized when they had these needs. And so there's needs that our congregation has. There's needs that we have. Uh, and so there's this call to uh, proclaim the good news of the gospel and also uh, to meet needs in the midst of our, uh, our church and to engage in that. And both of those things are very important. But, but the apostles looked and they said, it's not good that we should put aside or that we should neglect ministry of the word and prayer, or actually words at prayer and, ministry, and, the, and the ministry of the word. And so they said, we're going to have other people that are going to engage in that so we can give ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And I'm convinced that in the midst of, like there's a, a missing element in most churches, right? And it is the power of God that, that comes only through desperate prayer, right? It comes only through a dependence on him. It comes only in, in those kind of ways. And so many times we're so distracted by the things of the word, world that we are not giving ourselves to the word, that we are not spending time in prayer, right? And we remove the source of fuel, right? Negativity, that's another thing that just quenches, right? The fire, it's, it's this thought like you, remember the spies, right? As we, as we read about the 12 spies that would go in, right? And only two of them, Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. And the rest of them had this, uh, this horrible outlook, right? They're, they're, they're like, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't go in, we can't do it. And the people of God wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of this, this unfaithful, just this, this negativity that's there, right? And we, we got to understand, we're, we're to rejoice always. Attitude matters, right? The people of God should be people that, that are filled with the joy of the Lord, right? And no matter what our circumstances are, we're exuding that in our community, right? Sin, what about sin? Right, it weakens and it, it hampers, it darkens the soul, right? Here, here's, a, here's a quote uh, that I love uh, from John Owen, and it says this, every sin weakens and darkens the soul. An unmortified lust will drink up the spirit and all the vigor of the soul and weaken it for all duties. It corrupts our affections, expelling the love of the Father. It entangles us and chokes us so that the soul cannot say uprightly and truly to God, thou art my portion. It is a cloud, a thick cloud that spreads itself over the face of the soul and intercepts all the beams of God's love and favor. It takes away all sense of the privilege of our adoption, right? Sin short circuits the power of God in our lives. And sometimes we just simply decide that we're not going to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, we think about this quench not the spirit of God. We are to, to fuel the right things. We're to be in those kind of places, right? And it happens in worship. So many people have said to me, you know, I felt like I was supposed to go to the altar and pray. I, I felt like, uh, you know, I, I, I should have raised my hands in worship. I felt like I, I should have gone and prayed with that person. I, I just wanted to stand on my feet, but I didn't. And, and here's the reality. All of those things, they can quench the Spirit of God in our work. When we're disobedient to God's promptings, when we're not worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, when we're not being sensitive to those things. And so we want to walk in obedience. We want to be those kind of people. I remember, uh, and, and I saw Mark Holland this morning, and he and I were from different churches, and we'd taken a group of students to a camp in Kentucky. And one of the most just incredible just really weeks of my life. And I was uh, new kind of as a volunteer student uh, leader and we had gone and, and another church had gone with us and we were alternating those nights uh, who would share and we'd get together and have this time that we could uh, do a little devotion. And so the first two nights had been really 
I mean, not very good. The students hadn't interacted very well together. And I remember the, the pastor that was with the other church said, hey, if, if nothing changes tonight, I think we should probably just break apart for these times and maybe our kids will open up or maybe something will be there. And so I had prepared all day and I'd been thinking about what I might share and all those kind of things. And as I walked in, I just really felt like the Holy Spirit said, don't say anything like, like, like you just need to let them talk, you know? And so I got in and and I was like, I've got all this together, you know, but I just felt like I, I needed to just bow out. And so I said, listen, I, I don't know. I said, I just feel like, you know, what I've prepared, I, it's not supposed to be shared. I said, I just think that there's some, something on maybe somebody's heart. I said, I don't know what that looks like, but I said, I'm going to stay quiet. And there was something very interesting that happened. And uh, all of a sudden, one of the, the students began to testify and share. And then another student began to talk and another student began to talk. And some of those things began to happen. There was this, this interesting thing that happened. And it was like, it was like the Lord gave just an incredible message through about five uh, students. And in those moments following that, I just gave a, a little quick response. And there was, I believe, six or seven students in that moment that, uh, that came to faith in Christ and surrendered their life to Christ. And then I remember that we, we left that, that room or several of them left that room and we were kind of hanging back. And there was one, uh, there were a couple of students that had come with us that were unbelievers and that we'd been praying for. And one of those students, another student was really burdened for. And I remember him saying, you know, I was really praying that he would come to Christ. I was really praying that somehow he would do that. I'm so disappointed that he didn't. And so I just said, you know, all I know to do, let's just, let's just pray. And so we dropped down on our knees in this little room and we began to call on Jesus and we began to ask the spirit of God to convict his heart. We began to pray and just ask God to move among his life. And it was about 15 minutes, right? And all of a sudden he comes back busting in the door. We're still in there praying. And he says, listen, he said, I, I need to be saved. He said, God is, I said, I left, but he said, I need to know Jesus. And so he comes to faith in Christ. And we're just like, I'm just like, I hadn't done anything except to shut up, right? And I'm like, this is awesome. And so he comes to faith in Christ. There was, there was a little uh, guy that was from, from China that was with us, and he used to live here in Franklin and now lives in Charlotte. But uh, we had just really fallen, just, just had a real fond affection for him, you know, as we had uh, shared the gospel and we had talked to him, but he was an unbeliever. And, and so we'd been praying for him that night. And so these students that had seen God just moving in incredible ways, they said, you know, what about Isaac? They said, we, you know, we, we'd love to, we, we just worry about him, you know? And they said, let's just go down by the lake. And there was this beautiful lake there. Uh, we, we actually put a little cross up by a creek out in Kartika J that just looked like the lake that was there. And, and we, uh, we got down by that cross and we were praying and just asking God, we were just begging God, would you pour your spirit out on him? Like he was moving in the next week to go away from where we were at. And we were just broken for him. And these kids were weeping and praying. And all of a sudden we see Isaac come over the hill same day. Isaac's got a little pep in his step, you know, and I'm like, and, and Sherry had gotten him this little necklace, and it, it just said Jesus, but it said it in Chinese, and he comes charging in there, and we're all just kind of gathered up in a little circle, and he's, I mean, he's serious in that moment, and he just kind of breaks into the midst of that, and he holds out that little necklace, and he'd been meeting with one of the counselors at camp, and we didn't know where he was or exactly what was going on in that moment, but he comes in, and he said, this Jesus He's holding it out like that. He says, I know him now. And he had come to faith in Christ. And man, the work of God was evident all around us. You know, there's moments that we just see the power of God working in just an incredible way. I remember one day I was on my way home from, uh, from work and I was, I was driving up our driveway and 
there was a little elderly lady that lived not too far from us, and I was driving up. We had all these, I mean, I think they were the neighbors, but they don't live there, so it'd probably be all right. But, but we had all these flowers on the side of the road that would bloom, you know, and, and uh, I'm driving by them, and I'm thinking, you know, and I, all of a sudden I felt like, hey, you know, you need to take, you need to get some flowers, you know, and take them to Miss Anderson. That was her name. And I, I was, I was kind of tired, and I, I said, you know, Lord, I, and I didn't say Lord. I was just thinking like it was just nothing, you know. I just kind of was like, ah, maybe I'll do that tomorrow. I'm kind of tired. And so I drove by the little flowers, and I get on up, uh, you know, to my house, and I go to bed that night, and I don't think a thing about it until the next morning I got the phone call that Miss Anderson took her last breath that, that night. She had had a, you know, a heart attack, you know. And died, you know, in her, in her sleep that night. And she was a believer. And so, I mean, one day I'll, I'll see her again. But God had given me an opportunity to bless her. To do something that would be kind and gracious. But instead of being obedient, I cared more about my couch than I did about the work that God was calling me to. And I believe with all my heart that we've got to be a people who are willing to trade our comfort for the cross. They're willing to be a people who will say, you know what? We're going to feed. We're going to fuel the things that matter. We're going to dig into the word of God. And we're going to live in dependence on the spirit of God. And as God speaks to our heart, we're going to be obedient. And we're going to move. And we're going to live. And we're going to share the good news of the gospel. There are so many stories that we could tell. And many of us know those kind of things. But, but my hope is, and I, I'd love to continue uh, just on through the rest of this chapter, there's a, there's a reminder in this chapter that, that there's this, this call, and, and Paul says, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. And he said, may you be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, he who called you, and he said, the one who has called you, he's faithful, and he's going to bring it to pass. That's, that's what he says. And he says, listen, it's all glory to God, but God desires to do something among his people. And I believe that he wants to work in ways that are greater than we can understand. First Corinthians 2, uh, we're in Sunday school this morning, and, and just that verse just kind of left out. And he says, eyes have not seen or ear heard nor entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for his people, what God has prepared for those who love him. And many times you've heard funerals preached on that. I've probably in, uh, in, in error uh, even pointed toward that in a funeral, but it ain't talking about heaven, but it is talking about the revelation of the word of God through the spirit of God. When we open the word of God and we ask him to reveal to us the things of the scripture that we might walk in newness of life and that he might take the word of God and that we might read things that were written to the church at Thessalonica uh, all those years ago. And the spirit of God would take the word of God and apply it to the hearts of the people of God. And we would go out on mission for the glory of God, being led by the spirit of God. Then when we did that, we would see the work of God as the people of God surrender and are obedient to him. And my challenge for you this morning is, would you be a people who are led by the spirit of God? Would you be a people who recognize that dissension and hard times and difficulty, when we continue to walk around in negativity and pouring those things on, we are destroying and we are tearing down when God has called us to be the people that will build up, fuel the right fire and give yourself for the glory of God. He is worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship, all of our service. And we're going to worship him in these moments. And my hope is that you would be obedient to the spirit of God. Not only in these moments, if God speaks to your heart, uh, that you need to come and pray that you have someone that you need to speak to. There's someone that you may need to seek forgiveness from. There's someone, I don't know how God is going to speak to your heart, but my hope is that you would not hinder or grieve the spirit of God, that you would walk in obedience 
to the Spirit of God and that you would live for his glory. My hope is that, that as we leave this place, that we would be a people who would say, you know what, I'm going to live in dependence on the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And I do believe that God has greater things than eyes not seen or ear heard nor entered into the heart of man. What God could do if I'll lean into his Word and I'll fall in love with it and I'll live for the glory of his name. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, right? And the, the Scripture would tell us that, that, that as the gospel is preached, that, that the Spirit of God convicts hearts, that, that, that there is a conviction of our sin and, it is, and, and, a, and an ability, right, to have a moment like Clark talked about this morning where we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, who is rich in mercy in light of his love, his great love for us, right, has caused us to be born again, right? And we, we see this beautiful picture of the power of God displayed uh, in, as the Spirit of God convicts hearts and as people respond to the good news of the gospel. See, the truth is that we none of us were good enough, that none of us uh, could could do anything to earn our salvation, but God, who was rich in mercy, that he stepped out from the very glories of heaven and took on flesh, the scripture says, and dwelt among us. We see that he humbled himself and that he was obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. And that Jesus died on that cross and he died on that cross in my place and he died on that cross in your place. And when we hear the good news of the gospel, that we were sinful and that we were broken and that we were in need of a savior. And when we look to the work of the cross and we recognize recognize that what Jesus did, that he did that in my place. And that if I believe and trust in him, that that work, that that death, that that atoning sacrifice that was given on the cross, that it counts for me. And no longer am I dead in my trespasses and sin, but I'm made alive through the power of the spirit of God as I surrender my life to him. And we turn from our sin and trust in Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus this morning and the spirit of God convicts your heart, it is my desire that you might surrender to him in obedience, that you might look to the cross and you might trust in that work in your place that makes a way for you to be restored in relationship.